Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of Talking Recruitment, uh, the uh, REC's uh, podcast series. My name is Neil Carberry. Uh, I'm the Chief Executive of the REC. Welcome along to today's episode. Lots going on in the world right now, of course, as we see the virus uh, spike again and some of those big new interventions from governments across the UK in local and regional economies. Uh, just a reminder to stay in touch with us about all of that. I had a really good discussion this week with the First Minister's team in Scotland and we're working closely with uh, people like Andy Burnham's team at the GMCA in Greater Manchester as well. So as those local restrictions come in, do keep us up to date with what you're experiencing and the support you need from uh, public, uh, public authorities. Across the board, uh, Lots of activity at the REC. Last Friday, the 16th of October, we saw the uh, publication of our latest jobs recovery tracker. Uh, that's uh, our measure of uh, thousands of jobs boards and the trends on advertising over the last uh, few weeks. We've seen a really strong recovery in new job postings since the initial lockdown started to fade. In the last week or so, that has tempered, so uh, a slight drop, very small drop in, in, in the last week. And I think we we anticipate that while we go through this peak of the virus, the, the strong recovery that we've seen over the last few weeks is likely to be tempered. Importantly, I think because clients are well positioned now to do things online, we don't anticipate the kind of big drops that we saw back in March. Uh, other news uh, from the REC, uh, if you haven't already checked out the new contracts that are available for use on the REC website from our legal team, they're, they're all up and ready to use now. All of those are compliant for IR35 when it changes in April next year. And remember, you should be getting ready for that change now. It is law. It is going to happen. There are REC events available to you to make sure you get things right. And of course, uh, the other big change coming at the end of the year is the end of the transition period on Brexit. You may have seen uh, that over the weekend on the 18th, we were involved in a big intervention with sector bodies from across the economy and uh, the CBI to call for getting a good deal done uh, so that we can move on with confidence into 2021, uh, particular focus in our uh, in our work to make sure that services is uh, is represented in the trade deal as the majority of the British economy in a key area where Britain has strengths, not least, of course, in recruitment. From your own point of view, preparing your business, I think five big areas to make sure you're thinking about ahead of December the 31st, your, ta your tax uh, positions where you've got uh, businesses in the EU, how you're going to invoice effectively, maybe even where there are businesses in the UK operating as UK businesses, but paying you from parent companies elsewhere in Europe, getting those invoices right, getting your contracts checked, making sure that your data arrangements are going to be compliant, as well as, of course, the big one, understanding the impact of Brexit on your clients. If you are interested in the catch up on where we are on Brexit and the preparations that you need to be doing, both on those trade deal points and on the important issue of immigration and new system and also right to work checking, we're going to have a big focus on that in the uh, webinar. So do tune into that. Uh, 
Finally, really good last week to have our first meeting of the new REC board with our new chair, Sarah Thewlis. And I think uh, we'll invite Sarah along to uh, one of our uh, pods before too long. Uh, Sarah's coming to the job with three big agendas. One's about inclusion, inclusion and diversity and making the case for the industry as a, an agent of change on that and, uh, and helping us all to step up. And we've already done that with the appointment of the new REC board. Fantastic group of people uh, who have come on board to help uh, in, make sure our team are serving our, you, our REC members, as effectively as possible, but also making us more local, uh, so a lot more regional activity and really focused on the difference the industry can make. And we've just launched a big new project uh, to look at that. And there's some survey uh, surveys coming out to uh, members of the public, to clients and to you in the industry before too long about those things. So look out for that when it comes into your inbox. Now let's turn to the discussion that we have today. I'm delighted to welcome a real friend of the REC to the pod, Rob McArgill from uh, PwC. Rob, how are you? I'm really well, Neil, and uh, terrific to join you for the podcast today. I'm going to bore your loosener to start with. You're uh, uh, PwC's AI guru. Um, give me a, a sort of from, from where you sit on uh, the crisis so far and how it's helped your understanding of how technology um, and the impacts of technology on business are going to uh, are going to change. What's been really interesting, Neil, is I was just thinking back to um, when we first got together for your inaugural uh, REC annual conference. I think it was, what, June 2018 now, wasn't it? How time flies. And I think many of the themes that uh, we were speaking to around the AI agenda uh, were still a little bit theoretical and a bit of a reach of people to get their head around. I think what's been really interesting to watch over the last uh, several months has been uh, how these trends have started to really take hold, started to accelerate and started to surface some really um, quite eye-catching uh, stories around the application of AI, in particular around the AI applications in the sort of the workforce domain in HR and recruitment and beyond. We've seen uh, some really positive breakthroughs in terms of companies uh, driving digital transformation initiatives that were years down the track on the roadmap and managing to achieve that within the matter of months. On the other side, though, I think it's fair to say we've seen some fairly uh, pretty poor outcomes from a number of uh, applications that have led to uh, you know a, a distrust in the application of this technology. So we are at a really interesting juncture around how we'll see this technology expand in the years to come. That's really fascinating, and it doesn't feel like two years ago. But like so many things before the pan, uh, pandemic, you know, things simultaneously feel like yesterday and about two thousand years ago. But the, the, there's definitely been a whole transformation of how we do business, and people have made very quick decisions about how they use technology and how they manage teams uh, remotely. You know, it's true of uh, the REC in terms of what we're doing. Of course, it's true of. Uh, PwC and in your business of course you traditionally bring in a lot of people in September into those uh, training schemes that that you're uh, that you run with great success how's just using PwC as a big services sector employer as an example what are you seeing in in the PwC business about how some of that tech's being applied it's been a, a fairly interesting few months and interesting, I think, with inverted commas. Hey, we, we, we had to immediately pivot our 22,000 UK people into remote working, a drop of a hat back in March. 
Thankfully, a huge amount of investment in the technology and infrastructure had had paid off. Uh, so we were able to uh, to mobilize that that project very, very swiftly and uh, and get that off the ground. I think um, what we've then managed to do is start to look at how do we, uh, again, accelerate some of these digital initiatives. From a recruitment perspective, uh, I, I think we've uh, taken on board in excess of 2,000 people remotely in the last month or two, including our, uh, our, our graduate intake and our technology degree apprenticeships and school leaver program. And this has given us a great opportunity to trial some uh, emerging technologies such as virtual reality, where we're running uh, virtual careers rounds and milk rounds now, which I'm speaking at again over the course of uh, the next few months. Um, one of the things I think that this presents is a real opportunity to try different things, to think about the employee experience in a different way we've never had the chance to before. And um, I think where we're at is, is important that we take this opportunity to improve the uh, you know the, the lot of the workforce think about good work but my, my concerns i think where the conversation is at the moment is that a lot of it is based upon maybe uh, supposition upon a bit of tweaking of workforce strategies uh, maybe some pulse surveys garnered during the course of the pandemic what we've decided to do is, is take this on a, a, another level so um during the course of the lockdown we um put out a call for um, uh, volunteers for a, a trial that we've been running uh, during the last few months. Uh, we had something like 2,000 people volunteer to be part of this trial. We took 1,000 people on. So over the course of the last few months, we've had 1,000 colleagues wearing uh, wearables um, that's been collecting uh, things like sleep patterns, heart rate variability, stress, what we call body battery, level of restfulness and energy. But also every day, everyone's been conducting or going through cognitive and psychometric testing to look at things like mood and perceived stress, cognitive uh, load, etc. And on top of that, you can start looking at how busy their diaries are, what sort of work they're doing, etc. The, the critical thing here is the ability to combine all those different data sets and start looking at correlations that really give us powerful insight in terms of how to improve people's work, in terms of thinking about improving their, you know, the the, the balance between on-site remote working, et cetera, asynchronous working patterns. But I think what this also raises a few questions on is around how to do this well. There's been a, a slightly uh, significant growth in the application of technologies that have been leading to some fairly concerning uh, stories recently around surveillance and monitoring. I think where we wanted to get with this uh, application was to invert that. So we have uh, this trial entirely voluntary, we have it anonymized so that you can't look at individual data, but the payoff to the employee is they get a really rich insight in terms of how they are performing, their well-being and health stats during this really uncertain time so they can take action themselves. This question of kind of who controls the technology is fascinating. I think particularly driven by the fact, of course, you know, that we're talking to each other now from our respective homes. Um, and yes, I'm using REC technology to talk to you, uh, but you know, where where uh, I to decide to, as chief executive of the REC, to spy on myself as an REC employee, I would be putting equipment into my own home, and and there are a whole slew of challenges about the appropriateness of that, but also about the link into what drives productivity for individual workers and we know that engagement and perceived control of work really matter so yeah 
companies who are me who who are going down the route of kind of checking in on people um, are at risk of alienation, whereas companies who are going down the route of, as you say, giving people choices and data to make decisions with, that that's a potential tool for greater levels of engagement and productivity. And I suppose suggests a kind of a, a respect for staff that is essential to high performance. Is that fair? I think that's exactly uh, what this is uh, this is uh, premised on. And I think I'd take it a further step. Um, you know, no one really has the answers yet. Uh, and uh, this is a whole new way of working at scale that, uh, you know, the, the market has not had to contend with. But the only way we're going to make those decisions is based upon good evidence and data-led decision-making, which uh, this sort of thing allows us to do. Because we've got issues, haven't we? You know, if we're onboarding thousands of people virtually, remotely, uh, there's concerns about, you know, people coming into the workforce for the first time without established levels of social capital that incumbents already have. We have concerns around sort of, you know, the team working and uh, getting, you know, properly onboarded into the organization. Uh, all this is yet to be teased out. The only way we can do that is by measuring it. But if we do measure it and we do take the right choices uh, for the workforce in concert with them and their participation is crucial within that, I think we can really think about what good work looks like in the future. You know, it's not just about... Uh, a few different working patterns for a different subset of personas. We can really think about revolutionising the whole concept of uh, of the way work is consumed. We can personalise work consumption, and I think that really starts uh, uh, you know, revolutionising the whole approach to employee engagement, retention, attraction, and recruitment. Yeah, if we put parochial from and look at recruitment as a process, one of the things that I've been very aware of is um, firstly the struggle that some members have had to work with clients to get things online and one of the reasons why you know I was saying earlier in the pod I'm more confident this time around about not having a, this, a similar sort of massive drop off in activity as the uh, virus returns in the autumn is that the systems are in place now people are more prepared to do online interviews online selection testing uh, and as you've demonstrated the pwc online onboarding which is potentially uh, the most difficult of the three um you know we've run our exams entirely digitally and distanced um within the last few weeks at the rec so the the technology is there it becomes about kind of what's the human interaction with the technology so if you think about uh, the passive candidate and you know, for most recruitment firms are accessing the passive candidate and bringing them uh, securely to a decision point where they join the client's company is the, is the heart of firm recruitment. Um, you look at those, uh, those people and you could be in a world where the technology makes it easy now to do two interviews and a test in a week. So you go from passive candidate uncontacted on Monday morning to job offer and potential major life change on Friday afternoon. And there's a big, big test there is just because the technology enables you to do that, is that the best pathway for an individual to be onboarded, given that what you're dealing with is a human being? And simultaneously to that, if you're using kind of selection tools, either automated document checking or increasingly some of those AI tools that, that, that we see, are there things in the in 
the coding that sits behind those AI tools that are actually making some other issues that you have worse. You know, are you designing out diversity of thought? Are you designing out diversity of background? There's a whole kind of moral and long-term performance coder there to, to get hold of while while we're making this big shift. Does that, does that resonate? I think this speaks right to the heart of the matter. And uh, if you take um, the you know, these advances in in technology applications uh, and you look at where they've gone wrong, I, I would challenge them and say, well, and were the right people in the room at the time? And this really gets to the heart of, uh, of, of the opportunity for this industry going forwards to ensure they have a voice at the table, not necessarily to think about everyone having to, you know, retrain to be PhD data scientists, but having that professional domain depth of expertise to be able to hold your ground to say, uh, is this an appropriate use case to apply this to? Have we thought through all the externalities? Have we thought through the potential unintended consequences of this? And really think about team diversity across all levels, including disciplinary diversity. I think that goes some way to ameliorating some of the, the risk of this and, and ensuring that humans remain in the loop. Uh, I think uh, this is such an important part of a of a, of a human's journey in the, into the professional world. But uh, to, to think that's entirely automated, I think uh, it, it is, it is, it is not the right way forward. I think we want the best of technology and the best of humanity working in concert. Yeah, I think that, that sense of getting professional understanding into the room resonates. It will resonate with people listening to this who maybe kind of booked a CRM into the business or something like that, where they felt like the technology is driving the business rather than the business driving the technology. So one of the things just this morning before this recording, I was talking to colleagues about, you know, how do we produce REC material on the right way to approach a technology buy? And some of that is about, you know, having a real understanding of the business you have and the business you're trying to build in in the room when uh, when you're looking at the, the tech options and making sure that you're uh, you're you're fully understanding what each individual bit of that buy will will do for you. There's a lot. There's I think there's a lot for recruiters to think about about how the how the technology, if we get it right, can free up the humans to do more. It, in a sense, you know, my pitch, and maybe I'm just being optimistic, uh, I am optimistic by nature, is that the, the one of the big values of getting the tech stuff right for recruiters and getting, you know, making a decision about, about what in the tech stack will make a difference for you, because there's loads out there, um, is about freeing consultants up to do the human stuff better and the human stuff is handling candidates and it's handling the client relationships and 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 almost that that weaving together of those two agendas i think that's right you know the the, the more the technology scales the, the I mean, talk about the word democratized but you know it becomes far more user-friendly um i think uh, there's been really inspiring examples uh in many countries where the technology has been liberated that anybody can use it. You know, if you take like Finland, for example, they have this brilliant course, which I'd encourage everyone to check out called Elements of AI. And in that context, they're looking to upskill the entire country. And this is everybody, including, you know, prisoners, so they can be rehabilitated into the workforce. And again, this isn't about having, you know, absolutely supreme depths of technical knowledge. This is about understanding 
the impact of the tech, to be able to scrutinize it, to challenge it, and to ensure that it's working for our best interests. And this then reinforces in the future those skills that technology can't replace very well, that ability to bring you know, humanity, objective challenge, creative skills, and uh, empathy into the equation to ensure that it's not just being a soullessly automated. Yeah, I mean, I think we all uh, still need to have the plan because the tech isn't the plan, the tech is the map to a certain extent. Um, that If you were looking at the industry now and seeing the kind of wall of potential tech options that are that are out there you know i spoke at the the virtual uh rec expo last weekend there are manifold choices of automation and developing ai uh potential um uh tech there for all sorts of things and um, what what would you say were the two or three things that an agency owner might need to be thinking about in terms of you know where do i start with this well, I think um, it's an interesting question I get asked quite a lot. And uh, I'd say that across our our team, it's, uh, it's it's only a very, very small fraction of the sort of the end state that is probably real AI work. There's so much you have to do right first. And I think it starts with, with data and infrastructure. You know, have you got a, uh, you know, a, a solid plan in terms of your approach to, to cloud? Have you got a solid data strategy that's regulatory compliant for GDPR and the rest? I'm sure that is something that many of your members will be well on, on the path to already, I'm sure. But then it's about how do you use that data in an appropriate, responsible way to unlock value. And I think this is where it gets interesting around looking at the array of really exciting startups in the market. Or do you take it on board and try it yourself? I, I think um, there's huge value in you know, uh, some of these members taking on their own data science skills and machine learning engineers and let them loose and see how do you find value to, to drive up candidate service or efficiencies across the board. So I think it starts with, with, with data and, and, and infrastructure and also then encourages a degree of uh, experimentation and innovation to, to, to look for value that's not there at the moment. So a couple of things there that I'm, I'm... I mean, that's all great advice, and I really kind of strongly agree with a lot of the couple of things I pick out. One's quite flippant, which is thank you for the opportunity to remind REC, for me to remind REC members to keep their ICO registration up to date because they should make sure that that is the case. Um, but the, I think the second point is you know, all of the tech bodies I've been involved with in my career, a couple of major membership organizations, CRMs, uh, web and digital products, a um, whole range of things. The critical differentiator between success and failure has actually been having someone whose loyalty is entirely to the organization, the client organization, who understands the tech and understands the business as a key player. So that, you know, removing that kind of agency problem between a client who is maybe knows what the the outcome they want but is less technologically savvy uh, and a vendor who has a product and um, and i think that sense of kind of knowing what you're buying and having the skills on your team to work out what you should buy and what you should try and make seems to me to be a critical part of um crossing the stream on the on the stepping stones carefully and not getting wet 
I think that's that's all important. And there's no surprises like uh, most uh, software categories. There's a huge amount of marketing hype associated with these applications, which is so important to cut through and get down to the, the real value of these these solutions. I would say though that it, it's no longer the case that this uh, knowledge is uh, is is hard to attain. Uh, you know, God, if I can do it, anyone can. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would say that there's brilliant places to go for to equip yourself with an appropriate level of understanding of the tech to ask the hard questions and uh, to think about the risk issues, to think about the governance required to do this well, and to think about uh, a whole manner of issues around data security, the ethics of the technology. Um, you know, it's things, things you can ask around uh, if it's a, a tool that's built upon a certain data set, to what extent does the vendor look to uh, 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 mitigate the risk of bias in their training data? Yeah, you know, there's things like that that you don't necessarily need to be a, a professor in computer science to, to, to understand, but equips you with the hard questions to, to hold the vendor's feet to the fire. And just one thing before we close, you know, ultimately recruitment is a client-focused industry. How do you see client service from the industry changing as we enable all of this? You know, how, do we, you know, how does this help us? deliver effectively for clients and is it more than just kind of that classic manufacturing productivity uh tool of doing things quicker and cleaner um are there other advantages i think the first thing to say is uh, and again uh, as you know i've been in and around the uh, the industry for, for for many years um it, it's felt like that there's been a few promises of some leaps forward but haven't really come to full fruition I think this time is different. Um, there's a survey that we ran on CFOs globally during lockdown. And in that case, they had said that I think 50% of them had said they were deliberately looking to accelerate automation and AI investments and programs off the back of the pandemic. So I, I think that there's going to be much more emphasis now upon uh, tech adoption. Uh, this will either be done really well in a thoughtful, responsible manner or could lead to, to risk. So I think I think there's much more of a certainty around the, the, the speed of adoption now. Uh, so I'd encourage members to, to take it even more seriously than before. But I'd also say that, that there's a huge opportunity to radically transform the very essence of client service in this time. You know, there's going to be uh, uh, ways the service is, is delivered will change, but the very essence of tremendous uh, client service will not go away. The purpose of the, uh, the of your of your mission of your business will not change but it, the way it's delivered will change. Um, so I think there's a chance now to take some, some calculated risks, experiment, push the boat out further, and, and try things that maybe you are pushing down the track um, to, for, a, for a future conversation. And, and I think that way, AI is a bit different to normal software. I think it pays off to, to run a few experiments in parallel uh, and see where you get to with it. Uh, and don't be afraid if a couple of them fail along the way, as long as you've done it in a way that doesn't uh, expose you to any risk. I couldn't agree more with that. I think, you and just leaning on my personal experience with the kind of things we've been doing at the REC, the stuff that's really worked is where somebody's had an idea and we've given them the space to follow it through to fruition. And some of those things have happened and some of those things haven't happened. Um, but that, that scope for innovation in client service enabled by the tech strikes me as a really exciting kind of thing for, uh, for, for agencies to be getting close to rob thank you for taking the time to join us on today's pod it's been fantastic to to hear from you on all of this thanks for having me on neil great to catch up as always
Yeah, real pleasure. Let's uh, make sure we uh, we keep in te- in regular touch. And uh, if you'd like to hear more from Rob, he's one of the speakers who's on the uh, Rep 2020 Essential Lessons Guides drawn from our conference uh, in September, which are still available on the REC website. And thank you to all of you for joining us uh, on uh, this episode of the pod. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, a couple of recent episodes uh, that you might like to check out with looking at different structures for the industry as we come out of this one thing that uh, many smaller agency owners are looking at as they look to exit is employee ownership uh, episode 40 with the employee ownership association and kinetic plc that's neil smith the former rec chair who've who've been through that process is an interesting listen or if you'd like something a bit more big league in terms of size of uh, company, delighted in episode 41 to have a really interesting dis- uh, discussion with Ronald Riggs, the chief executive of Empresaria, about looking at the impact of the crisis across a global staffing firm and the uh, the path to recovery and also uh, the investments they're making at this moment to drive the business forward. So thank you again for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Thank you uh, to Rob for joining us and I'll speak to you all again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC pod. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon. And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.